I want to take as my text this morning that uh, part of that reading from R Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 6. I'd like us to concentrate on verses 12 through 18. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1120. Romans chapter 6 and beginning at verse 12 is found on page 1120 of the Pew Bible, which I'd like us to read again. Romans chapter 6 and beginning at verse 12. Notice with me. The great apostle Paul said, And let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. And do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over, over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we're not, we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience to God, which leads to righteousness? But thanks to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart, wholeheartedly, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. This morning I want to talk about God's reign embraced and sin's reign rejected. God's reign embraced and sin's reign rejected. For the most part, I, I don't suppose it seems like we're living our lives moment by moment, day to day in service to a power that's greater than ourselves. But according to the scriptures, we are. In fact, that made me think about Bob Dylan when I was in high school, it was many years ago, 1979, on the radio, you could turn on the radio and hear him and his band singing a song called, Gotta Serve Somebody. You remember that, some of you? Went like this. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like, might like to gamble. You might like to dance. You might be the heavyweight champion of the world. You might be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Bob Dylan, 1979. And this, in some measure, is what Paul is talking about here in our text. Indeed, Paul's directive and God speaking to us through the Apostle Paul, his directive is that we must as believers reject the reign of sin in our lives and as God's servants embrace the reign of God. And so as Dylan points out, we must choose between the two. And by the way, not choosing is not an option. In fact, not choosing is by default still a choice. As the rock band Rush wrote in their song Free Will, quote, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. And so this morning we're talking about God's reign embraced and sin's reign 
rejected. First of then, let's talk about sin's reign rejected. Indeed, Paul says in our text, don't let sin reign as king. In fact, the verb is from the, from, from the word for king. Don't let sin reign within you. Notice again verse 12. And let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies, in your body and its members, that it should make you obey its passions. And so Paul says, don't let sin reign within your mortal body. That is, don't let sin have rule over your life. Don't let sin tell you what to do. Don't let sin determine what you do with your body. And don't let sin make a slave of you. Indeed, without Christ, slavery to sin is a spiritual given. But to be in Christ and to be a believer is to be free from sin's absolute chokehold. It's absolute power. In fact, that's what we were talking about last week when we were looking at the first several verses of Romans 6. In fact, Romans 6 is sort of a thing unto itself. We're looking at the second part of it. But last week we looked at the first. But, and I want you to just look at there. It's right there on your page. I think it's 1120. Or in your own Bible if you have that along with you. Chapter 6 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, What then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Because he had made this argument that uh, no matter how much anyone sins, there's enough grace from, from God to cover that and take care of that and remedy that. But then some might get the idea, oh, well, if that's how it works, I sin and God gives grace, then let's keep on sinning so we get more grace. And that's what he's addressing. What shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, he says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, baptized by water into his name, were baptized into his death? And so in God's mind, there's more going on that just might meet the eye. That we're spiritually united with Christ and here he says, in his death, a death he died for sin. Verse 4, for we were buried therefore with him by baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too now might walk in newness of life. Not more sin, but newness of life. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in his death, we shall certainly be united with him in a, in a, in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old man, that is our old self, our, our fallen self, our self outside of Christ was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin or our sins, you, our bodies used for sinful purposes might be brought to nothing so that we no longer might be enslaved to sin. Verse 7, 4, the one who has died has been set free from sin. And so Paul says to us as believers, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. And don't let sin make a slave of you. As Paul says, don't, don't offer yourselves to sin, to be used by sin. To be used as a tool for, by sin for, for doing what's wrong in the eyes of God. Don't do it. You think you're in control, but actually you're being controlled. You have to serve somebody. Indeed, notice again verse 13, that first part of verse 13. And don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. 
Or you might just say, you know, using an old phrase, don't be on deck for sin. Don't make yourself available to that. Say no if you need to. And otherwise, reject sin's reign. Indeed, as believers, we, we have, uh, as we've already mentioned, we, we have a choice whether or not we will submit ourselves to the power of sin. Because, as Paul says, by God's grace, sin's power over us has been broken. We read that in the first part of chapter 6. And then notice again in verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. If you sin, it's because you choose to do so. And maybe very carelessly. And maybe you're just in the habit of it. In fact, dealing with habits may very well be something underlying all of this, right? The way that you ever get rid of a habit is stopping, the bad habit is stopping the bad one. But it's not just about stopping the bad one. You have to, in its place, put a good one. And so you're not pursuing this one, but you don't just stop pursuing Altogether, you stop pursuing this and you start pursuing that. And so you overcome the bad habit by taking on and, and committing yourself to a new one. I will not present myself to sin, to be used by sin as a tool for doing the wrong. Rather, I will present myself to God so he can use me as an instrument for doing his will in the world, for doing righteousness. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. But Paul says that we're free from sin because um, we're no longer under law. Now, the law is good, and Paul talks about that in, 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 in his letter to the Romans. Uh, but while we're only ever under law, even though it's good, the law in itself offers no power for how you can do it. And so, it, it, generally speaking, the result is, is that there it is, there it's good, there's what it demands of me, and I find, as I compare my life to it, and maybe even try to live it, that I'm constantly failing. And that's actually the nature of, of the law, and that's one of the primary purposes that the law serves. In fact, you, you will really appreciate grace to the extent that you really appreciate the nature of law, and how difficult Indeed, impossible it is to do it. In fact, earlier on in this same letter that Paul wrote to the Roman believers in the first century, Romans chapter 3 and verse 20, the apostle Paul wrote this, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified before God. You can't just be good enough, because your being good now can't make up for all that you've done before. If you've broken the law, indeed, how many laws do you have to break to become a lawbreaker? One. I don't know about you, but I've broken more than one. And so you're just in a hole that you can't hardly dig, your, well, you can't dig yourself out of. You need to be rescued. And that's what the word salvation means, deliverance or rescue. For by the works of the law, no human being can be justified, by, justified or seen as righteous in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. <laughs> that's what the law teaches us that we're sinners. And so by grace, sin's power over us is broken because we are no longer under, no longer under law, but he says, as believers, we're now under grace. And this is a good thing. 
Uh, it, it's because of grace that we're forgiven. It's because of grace that, that we, because of what Christ has done for us, we have a right standing before God. And because we're spiritually united with the Son, when the Father looks at us, He sees us in the Son, and because He's well-pleased with the Son, He's well-pleased with you if you're in Him by faith. And so by grace we're forgiven, by grace we're justified, and this is something that oftentimes is overlooked. By grace we're empowered to do that which is pleasing to God. Indeed, you find this all over the New Testament. It's the Spirit of God working in us, or God at work in us. The Spirit of Christ that allows us to do what is good and right and pleasing to God. Even pleasing to us and pleasing to ourselves. I'm, I'm thinking that probably other people are more happy with you when you are doing them right than when you're doing them wrong. <laughs> but Titus chapter 2 and beginning at verse 11, the Apostle Paul writing in another, on another occasion wrote, For the grace of God has appeared to us, bringing salvation for all people, not just Jews, but all people without distinction. And what does grace do? It trains us. It teaches us. It leads us and guides us and calls us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's what grace teaches us, not what some were thinking. Oh, well, grace means I, I do more sin. That's not at all what it teaches. It teaches us to walk with God, be holy. And it's powerful. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul writing to his protege, uh, Timothy said, And then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Strengthened by divine grace. <laughs> Are the same letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 3. The Apostle Paul wrote, For God has done what the law, weakened by our fallen flesh, couldn't do. He did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, and he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. How? Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We don't do the law by just trying to do the law in our own power. We end up doing the law by being full of the Spirit and submitting ourselves to the reign of God and obeying Him in His power. And so as Paul says in verse 15 of our text, the great grace is not a license to sin. Notice verse 15. What then are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? Meganoita, by no means. And so grace is not a license to sin. Indeed, to sin more is only to make ourselves slaves to sin. Notice verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? You probably never thought about that, that you're a slave to sin. Well, you, how are you doing? You ever feel compelled, can't seem to stop? Who's in control? You? Is that really the way you experience it? 
I mean, that's one of the devil's great lies, is that, the, that sinning is liberation. Is it now? Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to, of the one whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, spiritual separation from God, or of obedience to God, which leads to righteousness, righteous living. God says, walk this way. And you say, yes, Lord. And so you submit to his leadership, his reign, and what's produced? Goodness. Righteousness. But when you follow sin, sin takes you in another direction altogether. And so that's sin's reign rejected. And then we have God's reign embraced. Indeed, it's our calling as believers to reject sin's reign, and it's also our calling to embrace God's reign. <laughs> well, how are we to embrace God's reign? Well, Paul says that we're to embrace God's reign by presenting ourselves to God. I suppose we've been sort of talking about that. To be used by God for the accomplishing of that which is good. Indeed, notice again verses 12 through 13, right? Let not sin, therefore, reign. Stop it. Don't let it reign in you. Don't let sin, therefore, reign in your immortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Verse 13, but rather, or he, he continues in a different way, do not present your members to sin as instruments or tools. Even the word in the Greek can be used as weapons for unrighteousness. But present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. You, 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 you died with Christ and you're raised with him. Present yourself to God like people, people who've experienced that. Do not present your members to, uh, excuse me, uh, verse 13, halfway through. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members, or the, that is the, the members of your body, to God as instruments for righteousness. And so we embrace God's reign by presenting ourselves to God to be used by Him. Use me, Lord. <laughs> Use me in my home, Lord. Let me bring you glory when even in, when no one else is looking. Lord, use me at school. Use me at work. Use me at church. Not for the sowing of the flesh and for the pursuit of my ambitious ways, but use me to bring peace and glory to you and encourage others to worship you and serve you. Let me be a model for that. Do that with me, Lord. And so we embrace his reign by presenting ourselves to him, to be used by him to accomplish that which is good. Presenting our members, the members of our bodies, our hands, our feet, our eyes, our ears as instruments for righteousness and as those who have been brought from spiritual death and darkness to those who have been raised to live a new life. Even as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, right? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, all things have become new. And by obeying God, we make ourselves servants of God. We might like to use that as a title. Oh, well, I'm a servant of God. Well, are you? 
It should be obvious whether you are or not. When we obey him, we make ourselves servants of God. Notice verse 16 and 17. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or obedience to God, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin now have become obedient from the heart, or obedient wholeheartedly. <laughs> right? It's like, I don't have to obey, I get to obey. This is not a duty, it's a privilege. As those who have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And so to obey sin is to make ourselves servants of sin, which ends in death. And to obey God is to make ourselves servants of God which results in righteous living and ultimately eternal life. In fact, look at that very last verse in chapter 6 there. Chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages, the payment. What do you get when you work for sin? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, it's not even a wage, <laughs> but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as Paul says, that this pattern of life is the true mark of everyone who has obeyed from the heart the message of the gospel. Notice again, verses 17 and 18. But thanks be to God, he's writing to these believers in Rome. God is speaking to us through this holy word, God words, God's word written. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves or servants of righteousness. J.I. Packer in his book, Keeping in Step with the Spirit, wrote, Supernatural living through supernatural empowering is central to what it means to live an authentic Christian life. Listen to that again. Supernatural living through supernatural empowering is central to what it means to live an authentic Christian life. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Supernatural living by, by, by means of supernatural empowering, which I was thinking is rather reminiscent of something else that Paul wrote when he wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if this all seems rather impossible, that's exactly how you and I will do it, by the strength that comes to us from Christ. And so I wonder what is the reigning power in your life? Because we all have one, a reigning power, and all of us are servants. Either we're servants of God or we're servants of sin, whether we like it or not, or whether we care to acknowledge it or not. It is what it is. And what or who we choose to serve even now is determining the kind of life that we're living. I've always appreciated what A.W. Tozer wrote. He said, put God in his right place and a thousand problems are solved at once. Put God in his right place and a thousand problems are solved at once. 
God's reign embraced, sin's reign rejected. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. How do we get it so mixed up, Lord? When you call us into the light and we cringe, you call us into righteousness and we go, I'm not sure. Or the idea of holiness, no one would ever put the word holiness and joy together. But those who live and have experienced holiness know that it's, that it, that it's joyful. In, in fact, there's no more holy place than in your presence. And as the psalmist said, in your presence is fullness of joy and in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so if we can't quite grasp what we're talking about here, I pray, Lord, that you'd give us grace to step into it. If our experience is so small with regards to these things that to talk like this just seems beyond the pale of reality, help us to step into it, to step into it, to step into it and find out, oh, well, the water's not something to be feared by. The water's rather nice. To try it and find out, Lord, that in fact we like it. And the more we taste of it, and the more we experience of it, makes us want more and more and more and more. Help us to do it, Lord, for our soul's health, for our own happiness, and for the well-being of those that live around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.